Please stand for a reading of God's word. Romans 8.28 And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those that love God, to those that are called according to his purpose. Genesis 50, 15-21 When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is God's word. Do you feel sometimes that life has gotten out of control? It's like there's dark shadows coming across the world, our nation, and often our personal lives. Internationally, we've been dazed by the disasters that's impacted Afghanistan, earthquakes in Haiti, and just numerous problems throughout the world. We're uneasy over the power shift among the nations disillusioned by the continual wars and terrorism. We're shocked by a worldwide pandemic that's taken the lives of millions. Nationally, we've been handcuffed by the restrictions due to COVID, shaken by the rise in crime, and caught up in the heightened political vitriol which's dividing our nations, and then stunned by the social agendas that seem to be taking over our culture. Personally, many of our families have suffered loss or had their lives turned upside down by cancer. That's not to mention the loss of jobs, broken relationships, our personal struggles and stresses. It's enough to make us join the chorus of those who begin to question God question his existence, and ask the question, how can a loving God allow such suffering and evil? Well, over the next two weeks, we're going to, look, going to look and contemplate about a passage that's brought tremendous comfort and peace to Christians throughout the generations. It's Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. Those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We're going to divide this passage into two parts. The first part we're going to look at, God causes all things to work together for good. And we're going to see that God is for us. 
The second part we're going to focus on for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we're going to see that God is for his glory. Because life runs on two rails. God's love for us and his desire to be glorified. And that all of life continually runs on those two rails. <clears throat> and if we love God and we align ourselves with our purpose, we will be traveling with God toward his ultimate good, which becomes our ultimate good. <clears throat> Let's pray. Our Father... Meet us with the, the beauty and splendor of your word today. May your spirit anchor us in this incredible truth that you are sovereign and you are good. That no matter what's happening in the world, we can trust that you are controlling it toward your ultimate glory, toward our ultimate good. In Jesus' name we pray, <clears throat> amen. <clears throat> Once when I was in jury duty, uh, I got talking to, to one of the men who was waiting, and he shared his life philosophy. And he shared it in an old Chinese parable. And it goes like this. There was an old farmer who had a beautiful horse that he treasured. And one day, the horse ran away. His neighbor came over to console him and said, Oh, I'm so sorry that you've lost your prized horse. This is such bad news. I hope you're able to get over it soon. The farmer replied, good news or bad news, we can't say. We only see a fragment at a time. The next day, the horse returned with another wild horse, a stray. And the neighbor came over and celebrated with it, the good fortune, and he said, so the loss of your horse turned out for good. Look at what happened. And the farmer replied, good news or bad news, who can say? We only see a fragment. A week later, the farmer's son was breaking in that stray horse, and he was bucked off the horse, and he shattered his leg. The neighbor came over again and said, so the new horse was a curse after all. Look, it's left your son with a broken leg that he'll have a hard time overcoming if he ever does. The farmer replied, good news, or bad news, who can say? We only see a fragment. A month later, their nation went to war. They drafted every able-bodied young man, and the, the farmer's son was spared because of his broken leg. A short while later, the, the neighbor whose son had been sent to battle returned gravely injured. He was visited by the farmer and told, your son was spared because of his broken leg. It's a good thing in the end. And the farmer replied, good news or bad news, who can say we only see a fragment? See, we make quick judgments about little pieces in our lives, or maybe longer pieces and events, but we are so quick to make a judgment whether it is good or bad. But what we know as Christians is that these events aren't random. They are controlled by a sovereign God who is working all things for his good. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the life of Joseph and we're going to see in his life 
that he would tell us at the end of the story, wait to make any judgments until the story is complete. Joseph's life was a roller coaster, up and down. Have you ever ridden the roller coaster? You could be scared to death or you could think it's a thrill ride as you gradually climb up and you have this incredible view of everything around you until finally you just head straight down. Your heart is up in your throat and then you're spun around a corner and then dipsy-doo up and down, then up another taller hill, down again. And that's the way life actually is. And we're going to see that Joseph's life was like that and it alternated between the ascents to a peak of what was good and immediately that crashing down to bad. We're going to look at three waves in his life to see how God didn't seem to be at work, but he truly was. The first wave begins actually with back to, with Abraham. And Eric brought out last week God's covenant with Abraham. That Abraham would be the father of a great nation, and through that nation, the world would be blessed. And so that promise went from Abraham to his son Isaac. And it went from Isaac to his second son, Jacob. That's a man who wrestled with God, and God renamed him Israel. And so that's where we get the nation of Israel. So all of Israel's sons, all his 12 sons, had the promise passed through them. Joseph was the second youngest son, the 11th of Jacob's. And so we read... His story begins, chapter 37, verse 4. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Though Joseph was the most loved by his father, that didn't lead his brothers to love him. It actually led them to be jealous, and they hated him. To make matters worse, Joseph seemed to be oblivious to this. As we read in verse 5, Now Joseph had a dream, and he decided he was going to tell his brothers that dream. Big mistake, because after he told his brothers that dream, they hated him even more. Joseph's dream apparently pictured his future. In that dream, he determined that his brothers, his entire family, would one day honor him, bow before him, and he would rule over them. And so this is good news for Joseph. He's so excited about it, he can't hold it in. He just has to spill it out to his brothers. In the meanwhile, his father is honoring him. And it seems like the dream's coming full. Through, true as the father gives him this beautiful special coat of many colors. And so he runs out and he tells his brother, and all it did was incite their anger even more. And they plotted against Joseph and how to do away with him. And their hatred turned violent as they beat him and threw him in a pit. And then we read in verse 28, Then Midianite travelers passed by, and they drew Joseph up, and they lifted him out of the pit. 
They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Something that seems so good became actually the cause of what was so bad. Let's stop and think for a moment. What might have Joseph felt? What might have you felt in that situation? And I conjecture. His dream must have seemed like a farce. His brothers would honor him. They hated him. He would rule over him. They abused him. They wanted him dead. And if their feelings ever did change... He was no longer around. He was in a foreign nation far away. And he had no freedom. He was now a slave unable to return. It truly is a death of a dream, a destruction of that dream. It seems like such a fantasy that he never should have believed in because God wasn't going to fulfill that dream. I don't know if Joseph felt that way. It's the way I would have felt until we hit the second wave. Joseph remained faithful to God. He accepted the bad hand he was dealt, and he worked hard for his master Potiphar. As a result, he was recognized for that. And we read in chapter 39, third and fourth verse, his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended to him. And he made him overseer of his house and he put him in charge of all that he had. Doesn't get better, any better than that for a slave. So in these circumstances, this was something really good. <clears throat> he had freedom within that household. He was given tremendous responsibility. His gifts were recognized. This is good. Until it seemed so good and he was so attractive that Potiphar's wife set her eyes on him and she sought to seduce him. And then we read verses 8 and 9. He refused and he said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. He's put me... He's put everything that he has in my charge. There's no one greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you're his wife. How then could I do such great wickedness and sin against God? We see two reasons for Joseph rejecting her. It isn't because she was unattractive. It isn't because she was undesirable. No, it's because he saw it was wicked to betray his master and to sin against God. He would not do it because of his love for God and his faithfulness to God. Well, she wasn't done with him. She persisted in her attempts to seduce him and she finally got him alone. But he fled the scene. But as he was leaving, she grabbed his cloak and she used that as evidence against him when she proclaimed that he had assaulted her. False charges. 
But we can imagine, if God's there, if God's been with Joseph, surely the truth will rule the day. But it doesn't, as we read in 19 and 20. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. Good turns into bad once again. What would an ordinary person think about God now? God, you gave me a dream that got me in trouble with my brothers, and the result of it, I'm a slave in Egypt. But I remain faithful to you, God. If I'd given in to this woman, I'd be a free man today. At least free within Potiphar's household, in a good position. But it's because of my dedication to you, Lord, and to Potiphar that I'm in prison now without any prospect of ever getting out. When I was a slave, I thought there was no chance that this dream could be fulfilled. Now I know for certain I'm in prison. The dream was a fantasy, a false promise. Again, that's what I would be thinking. But we don't know what Joseph felt, but we do know he remained faithful. So we hit the third wave. God was still with him, leading to another time when all things seemed good, at least in comparison to what it was for everyone else. And I read in chapter 39, 21, 33, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that Joseph was in charge of because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Joseph was now moving toward another high. Even in prison, God was there with him. He must have had free reign there because the... The prison guard didn't even pay attention to, to anything he was doing. And he had risen to such a high position that two of the Pharaoh's servants who had been cast into prison came to him when they had these disturbing dreams. They said in chapter 40, verse 8, they said to him, we've had these dreams and there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And after they shared their dreams, Joseph interpreted them. He gave bad news to the baker, but really great news to the cupbearer, as we read in verses 13 and 14. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as you did formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it's all well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. Get me out of this prison. This was Joseph's opportunity. He thought he'd never get out, but here it is, a golden platter. 
It's good. It's good. Cupbearer is going to go back. He's going to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. The Lord's with him. How capable he is. How trustworthy he is. How faithful he is. And truly, certainly, Joseph will be released and maybe be a free man. It's great. And it'd be the great ending of a story, wouldn't it? But it's not, as we read in verse 23. Yet the cup, chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Joseph's hopes were raised only to be destroyed. Now think about it. How could a cupbearer forget what had happened only a few days earlier? How could he abandon a friend that he had just left? It's not humanly possible. God must have been involved. God must have made him forget such a momentous interpretation. What would you have felt if you were Joseph? Me? It'd be God? I'm not asking for a lot. If you just let life go on normally, I would be out of here. What do you have against me? Why do you torment me with false promises and false hopes? I doubt Joseph felt that way as he languished in prison for two more years. Perhaps he knew the story wasn't finished yet. And it wasn't. Two years later, Pharaoh had a dis two disturbing dreams. In the first, seven ugly, thin cows ate up seven attractive, plump cows. In the second, seven thin ears of grain swallowed up seven plump, full ears. Pharaoh was perplexed. What does this mean? So he called all the magicians and wise men, and he told them their dreams, and none of them could interpret it. Nobody there to interpret in the kingdom. And then what happens as we read in verse 9? Oh, the cupbearer remembers now. Verse 9, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servant and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation, and that a young Hebrew was there with us a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted it to us, so it came about. I was restored to office and the baker was hanged. Pharaoh called for Joseph. I want that guy. He shared his dreams. Joseph interpreted the meaning. The plump cows and full ears represented seven years of bountiful harvest. The thin cows and ears represented years of famine, which would eat up the years of plenty. It would lead to the starvation of many, many people. So Joseph, in addition to interpreting the dream, added a plan to avoid this disaster. 
He said, you could choose somebody to oversee a big project filled with all under-overseers. And they build storehouses. So during the seven years of plenty, you can store up all this food that you'll have available during those years of famine. Pharaoh liked that. So who could oversee something like this? Ah, we see in verse 39 and 40. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there's none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all the people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. Joseph interpreted the dream. It led him to be released and made the second most powerful person in Egypt. His plan ended up saving the world from famine, which included his own brothers and their families. During the famine, they traveled to Egypt to get grain, and they came before Joseph. Eventually, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and they were all reunited. And Joseph did rule over them, just as his initial dream promised. But it was much more, wasn't it? He didn't simply rule over his brothers. He ruled over a nation and over a whole region when they were in famine. You see, sometimes we have smaller pictures of what God can do. Joseph did, but God did something greater. It worked God's plan, worked for Joseph's good as he rose to become so powerful. It worked for the good of the people as so many were saved from starvation. And it worked for the glory of God and seeing God's unfolding plan. And in that plan, he brought the seedling of the nation of Israel to Egypt where they could grow to a massive number of people to become a nation. And it set the stage for the miracles God would do in bringing them out of Egypt into the promised land. God worked for good despite the misfortunes the evil done by his brothers, the evil done by Potiphar's wife, and the selfish forgetfulness of the cupbearer. As Joseph said to his brothers when they feared that Joseph would be punished, as for you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You know, I've shared a story about a puzzle a few times, in fact, maybe just a month or two ago, and I'm going to make you endure it one more time because it is so picture-perfect for the life of Joseph. I go back to my early days in ministry. We used to do children's messages. So one of the messages I had was about a puzzle. So I got the puzzle out, and I took out a piece and I said, wow, this is beautiful. It's so colorful. I love it. It's so good. And I placed it down. Then I pulled out a darker piece. And I said, oh, I don't like this. This is an ugly piece. So I threw it away. The kids objected. 
So I took another piece. Oh, this is, this is really beautiful. I like this. This is colorful. I like this one. This is good. Oh, I don't like this ugly. Threw it out. They objected again. Another beautiful third time I throw out ugly. They're screaming now. They're saying, you can't do that. And so I ask them, why can't I do that? And I expected the answer. You can't finish a puzzle if you throw some pieces away. You just got to put them in there. But one eight-year-old girl was much sharper than I. And she said, don't you realize when the puzzle is finished, even the ugly pieces become beautiful? And then I look at the life of Joseph. A good piece, this dream of what he would be one day, dashed by this ugly piece of his brothers beating him up and him being sold into slavery and in, into Egypt, till another good piece, a good piece where he was exalted in the household of Potiphar, until another ugly piece, and Potiphar's wife turns on him and he's thrown into prison, until another good piece. A beautiful piece where he's acknowledged as God being with him and he begins to rule over the prison itself until and uh, in, in now he has the chance to get before released when the cupbearer remembers him. But the ugly piece of the cupbearer forgets him and so he's stuck in prison. He languishes there for two more years until Pharaoh has the dream and God's plan is complete as he... Oh, some sense has saved the world. For God's plan to be fulfilled, Joseph had to be in Egypt in front of the Pharaoh at the time Pharaoh had his dream. How did that happen? How did he get to Egypt? Ugly peace. His brothers beat him up. He was sold into slavery and brought to Egypt. How did he how was he able to get in front of the Pharaoh and be trusted? Ugly peace. He met, he was thrown into prison where he'd meet the cupbearer. But how was he available? How did people know where he was when Pharaoh had his dream? The third ugly peace. The cupbearer forgot him, so he was still in prison. They knew right where he was going to be. So when we struggle with the events in our lives and we're ready to say, that's bad, what's God doing? Let's remember the words of that eight-year-old girl. When the picture is complete, even the ugly pieces become beautiful. Let's remember the words of Romans 8.28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. It is so rich. It is so true. It speaks to us. This morning, we are inspired by this incredible promise. We're inspired by the, the life of Joseph. Tomorrow, Lord, let us not forget. Let us not forget your word. Let us not forget your goodness. Let us not forget your sovereignty. Let us trust in them, just as Joseph did, and live for your glory till our story is finished.